It's the Last Stand Podcast. Are you feeling run down? Do you need a natural way to boost your immune system? The all-natural B1 patch from USA Natural may be just what you're looking for. Professional athletes use it, and you can too. Just peel and stick, and within 30 minutes feel the natural boost of energy, stamina, and endurance. Visit buyb1.com and enter the code BC3 for a discount on every order. Wear what the pros wear, the all-natural B1 patch. And here's your host, Brian Custer. Well, welcome to the third episode of The Last Damn Podcast. I am Brian Custer, and listen, this is the show where we're going to bring you some of the biggest names in the world of sports, and you're going to love today's guest because the entire baseball world will be watching him and his baseball team once the season uh, resumes. Speaking of Major League Baseball, they have discussed some contingency plans on resuming the season. The latest is having the guys come back sometime in mid-June, uh, possibly as late as July 4th. Other contingency, contingency plans have called for isolating the teams in hubs, three states to be exact, Arizona, Texas, and Florida in minor, playing in minor major league parks, even without fans, if that's the case. One of the sticking points, money. The owners want a reduction in player salary, especially if there's a shortened season. Of course, the union and the players totally against that. Joining me now to discuss this and his career, which spans decades in the great game, is the manager, the new manager of the Houston Astros. He's been in baseball for over 40 years, 19 years as a player, 23 years now as a manager. It's one of my favorite people. The great Dusty Baker here on the Last Stand Podcast. How you doing, Dust? Hey, doing fine, man. Just staying busy. Uh, spent a lot of time with the family. I've never uh, been in a house this much and this long for <laughs> such Because <laughs> my friend uh, told me about two years ago, he goes, he was upset with me. And he goes, hey, man, I know how to torture you. You just keep you in the house for about a month. And uh, had no idea that it was going to be like this, but at least things are appear to be getting better and I think prayers are working uh you know all the people that are working so diligently to try to you know get everything back to normal we got a ways to go but you know things have uh are going are going pretty good well listen it's great that you uh and your family uh are doing well especially during this pandemic And, and I'm I'm curious because where were you when this thing hit where it was obviously the nation locked down were you guys in spring training Well, we were still in spring training. And then, uh, you know, we were told about I was going to come back to California for about a week or 10 days. And then I was going to go back to Houston, but I was instructed not to go back to Houston because they closed the stadium. Uh, uh, The town hadn't been been shut down yet. But, you know, I'm glad I came home because I had a lot to do. Plus, my family feels a lot better with me, you know, close to the house because, I mean, this is is a, a bad uh, situation. You know, we've been through a lot of ups and downs in this country, but this is the worst that I can remember. And like I said, I'm 70 years old. I've been through Vietnam. They, uh, you know, this too shall pass. Uh, we just told no win. Can you talk about what is it like when you're a manager of a professional baseball team? 
I mean, what is the everyday like? Do you have to have virtual meetings with your players? How do you know the players are in shape and that they're doing what they need to do that in case the season resumes, they're ready to go? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you don't really know what anybody's doing. You know, I mean, you, I mean you're more or less on an honor system where, where you hope guys are working out, the trainers are, are, are checking on them. You know, we check on them every couple of weeks because you don't want to be checking on them like every day. I've talked to some other guys in different organizations and they're calling a couple of days a week. And, you know, guys get tired of hearing from you. And, uh, you know, nowadays uh, people will, will answer a text before they'll answer <laughs> the telephone or even, or even, you know, email. So, you know, but we got a great group of guys. Uh, I'm not really worried about these guys working. They have a lot to prove. Uh, I've uh, expressed to them a couple of times. Um, about things that happened in my career. And uh, it's 1972, I was a rookie, and uh, Hank Aaron told me to work out. That was the first uh, uh, work stoppage, and I didn't work out. I didn't do anything for about 10 days. And then um, we resumed play. Uh, uh, Orlando Cepeda hurt his knee. Hank Aaron moved to first base. They said, grab a glove. I thought I was the last guy on the team, and I proceeded to go one for one my first at bat. Then I went 0 for 20 in the next – 19 with 15 strikeouts and so uh, I almost lost my job before I got it and then uh, Hank said get in the cage work 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 and I finally got another start like May 15th I got three hits next day four next day three I think and then I played ever ever since end up third in the league in my rookie year and I think about you know maybe I'd have been like Al Kaline and led the league my rookie year but uh, you know I use that as an example versus uh, the strike uh, short year of, of, of uh, 1981, where I worked out every day, played wiffle ball with my nephew, swam, run, went to the batting cage, paid batting cage. And then the, uh, after that, uh, came back and we won the World Series, our only World Series. And um, I think I had the highest league, uh, batting average in the league. And we came back after the break. And so, like, I related some of these stories to our guys. And, uh, you know, I think our guys take heed, but you know, hey, man, these guys got a lot of pride where I got there. So I'm not real worried about them. Um, I think everybody's getting, uh, you know, they're anxious to play. They're anxious to get back. And uh, so, you know, knock on wood, hopefully we'll be back, you know, fairly soon. What do you think about some of the contingency plans that baseball has talked about? Uh, number one, uh, playing maybe in parks uh, with no fans. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. and, and number two, them saying, well, Maybe we can come back uh, maybe mid-June or even as late as July 4th. What do you think about that as a starting date? Well, I mean, it'd be, it'd be great, but it's all speculation, you know, that we have to get back, you know, when it's healthy, uh, time to get back. And, and various states are more open and lenient to getting back than others. And so, um, you know, I think this is, like I said, it's all speculation. Uh, you know, we were asked not to really talk or, or – or say much because rumors are, are flying everywhere. You know, where are you going to play? Uh, how many divisions are you going to do? How many teams? How much travel? And so I don't think anybody really knows. Most of these are just, you know, everybody's speculating. Everybody's trying to come up with ideas and trying to get a way for us to get back on the field, but get back on the field safely. Because I think we all miss baseball and we all miss sports. And, uh, you know, I find myself, you know, every night I'm watching – Western movies where ordinarily I'd be watching, <laughs> you know, baseball games. And so, uh, but, you know, we got to get back in a safe manner. That's all I have to say.
When would be, in your opinion, though, because you've been in the game a long time, when would be a drop dead date? Because I would assume even if they said, okay, Dusty, we're going to come back uh, next week, you guys need some time. Don't you need to have like a mini spring training to, yeah. to get guys ready? So when, when do you think it would be a drop dead date? Is it mid-July, end of July? If we are not back by the end of July, I don't think there could be a season. I don't know. I mean, it all depends how deep into the winter that everybody's willing to go. And uh, I think some of it depends on, like I said, imagine, you know, college football or, or, or pro football. I mean, we're going to go, no matter what, if there is a season, we're going to go into, into autumn. And, uh, and, you know, talking about fall baseball, this will really be fall baseball. But I think, I mean, there's a need, you know, to, to you know, try to set the economy straight. Uh, everybody wants to go back to work. Uh, the owners need it, restaurant tours need it, hotels need it. But again, I can't stress it's second, all this is secondary to, you know, to health. And uh, when you see how many people have died, I watch CNN every day. And uh, man, I, I mean, New York City and New Jersey, where you live, you know, had it, had it like terrible and it's not great anywhere. But I mean, you really had it, you know, you really had it tough back there. So, you know, we can't let this thing happen again or get out of control a second time when we're just putting the cap on it hopefully again i say hopefully uh the first time yeah um you know one of the things too and we'll we'll talk about the season is you know the players uh, say hey look even if we start we're not trying to have a reduction in salary uh does, it, well, does that include managers where, where do you stand well, on that well it probably includes everybody you know um yeah, I mean, you cannot get a reduction and everybody else has a reduction and vice versa. So, I mean, this is our game. Uh, I'm not saying what anybody's going to do, but, uh, uh, you know, we're hoping that, uh, you know, we get back and don't have to make that decision because that's a tough decision. That's a tough decision by the players, tough decision on ownership, tough decision of the player association. Um, again, I mean, a lot of this is out of our control. And, you know, I'm saying prayers every night that, you know, like we come up with a miracle or some kind of, uh, uh, you know, antibodies and drugs, is, you know, that's going to change the world in a short period of time. But in the meantime, we have to do what they've asked to do, the social distancing. Um, uh, you know, like I got, you know, we have masks. My family has masks and I got a daughter. She calls me daily from Oakland and want to know am I social distancing as I'm supposed to be because she knows that I'm a you know, busy person. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we got to do, you know, what's best in the long run. I know it's tough right now. It got to be tough, it's tough on everybody. And I feel very grateful and thankful to be in the position that I am, um, you know, to help people. Cause I mean, we've cleaned out garages, we've cleaned out uh, closets, done stuff that, you know, we've given away stuff with, they clearly let me know that we have too much. We have uh, too much of a society. So when I see people standing in lines or people at the at the food banks, I mean, it makes you really, really realize and, and thankful and say a prayer for, for everybody in need. And then hopefully, like I said, soon, uh, you know, this, a, this would be but a bad dream, but we'll all have to learn from it. So let's talk about the season. Um, you know, new manager now of the Astros. Of course, the commissioner has already – and they'll find the team for the, the sign-stealing operation that they had in 2017 when they won the World Series. I'm just curious, when this went down, what was your thoughts about the Astros long before you even took the job or even thought about taking a job? What was your thought about the Astros and what went down 
if, with those guys? Well, you know, I mean, my first thought was, you know, uh, uh, you know, everybody's capable of a mistake. I mean, I've made mistakes. Everybody's made mistakes, and we talk about forgiveness. But, I mean, I wasn't even there yet. And we're talking about forgiveness, but nobody wants to really, you know, forgive. I know you're not going to forget, but, you you know, you got to forgive, you know, because we all make mistakes. Uh, some mistakes are better than others, but, but, but they're still mistakes, and they're not right. And they've, uh, you know, all the players and organizations have said that they're, uh, apologetic and sorry for their actions and 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 after that you know uh, there's not a whole bunch more that you can say or do except you got to live it you have to you know you got to go through it I mean it was tough in spring training you know to watch some of the, I mean these are these are good-hearted guys and uh, um, you know half the team wasn't even there that was that was there when the when the whole situation went on but the whole everybody has to eat it because anybody affiliated um, you know, with the organization is going to have to go through it, you know, for now. And so hopefully, you know, this too shall pass. I mean, we, we've been through some tough times in baseball, some ugly times, you know, and I was part of a, a whole bunch of ugly times, but, you know, we, we get through it. Uh, you know, we help each other and, and we hope that, that everybody, everybody learns from it. So let me take you back to February 13th, because I, me, just like everybody else was watching, I think the world was watching when uh, I remember you were up on the dais with the owner and all the players had to do the, right. the apology thing. And, you know, I, I, I know Altuve, uh, Jose Altuve took a lot of heat because, you know, even the Houston Chronicle said that he, they felt like he, he seemed unapologetic. Uh, the owner was sitting right next to you, Jim Crane who made the comment, quote, this didn't impact the game. We had a good team. We won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that, end quote. I, at any point, because I know you, Dust, were you sitting there at any point saying, what in the hell did I just get myself into? Well, yeah, kind of. And, you know, the main thing is, I'm a, you know, the Lord has always put me in, in these tough situations. Because <laughs> so, this one's tough. I mean, all no, no, all my life. No, it's, it's been tough a whole bunch of times. But, you know, uh, I think that's why maybe that I was chosen for this, you know, uh, you know this situation. And uh, um, um, it came – I know it's tough, you know, but it came at a good time for me also and, and my family and a good time for, you know, me to get back on the field because any, any longer than this, you know, it would have been – I wouldn't even been invited to the dance to be back on the field. and so. You know, I hate what happened. Uh, you know, I hate what happened to AJ because I really liked AJ. And, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, he was genuinely apologetic and the organization was, you know, you know, for the actions that were here. I mean, whether, I mean, people are always going to talk. I mean, you know, who's to know if somebody was sincere or dissincere, whatever the word is, uh, or not? You know, I mean, everybody's face doesn't show, everybody's heart doesn't show the same remorse in the same way. So, you know, you got to take, I mean, you know, when you apologize publicly, no matter, uh, you know, kind of what you say, you know, it has to be, you know, you have to accept that from that, you know, from that person. Uh, and so uh, the main thing is, is that it's gone now. It's in the past. You can't bring it back. You can't keep talking about it. Uh, uh, you know, you got to say uh, uh, your apologies uh, uh, and, and, and talk to the, the Lord and say you'll never do it again. And then boom. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, you know, 
you know, you got to move on, you know, right. but people don't let you move on. And, um, you know, and, and my job is to help the organization and the players and the cities move on because I've had to move on and everybody else out in the world has had to move on from some place uh, that was very dark. If you read this, it's, it's a matter of if you were exposed or not, you know, so uh, it is what it is. So we got to keep on living and uh, hopefully this will motivate us to, uh, you know, play even harder and even and even better. So, you know, obviously you talked about spring training is when uh, the pandemic hit and you guys had to break camp and you, you, you witnessed some of the br brush back, obviously some of the boos when you were in, in camp. So I was no, but reading, Brian, but, but Brian, there weren't any brush backs, you know, I mean, guys, guys are getting hit in the foot. Guys are getting hit. Okay. And, and I, I honestly, I mean, there wasn't a brush back that I saw. And, and do, do you, I, do you anticipate I like, I, from, I, listen, listen. I come from the brushback era, so I yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I, I know what a brushback. That's is. what I was gonna say. Okay. You came, you came to the era where they really threw at you, and thank you. There, yeah, there was you a, can there call was, it brushback if you want to. Right. <laughs> so there was a story that's in the USA Today that said that yeah. they anticipated that the Astros would probably be being more than yeah in baseball everybody this season. Well, what, what do you think? That. Well, yeah, I mean, you know. I think the gamblers are like I, I saw the odds and this and that. Everything has 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 a, has a, a gamble type angle to it. And you know something, you know when I when I first came in the league, and it hadn't changed that much. Basically, that it, it, it's just that people don't admit that they're throwing at somebody when they're throwing at them. Now, when I first came in the league, they didn't hit the guys that you could get out. You know, I mean, they hit guys that were going to do some damage to them. You know what I mean? Because the other guys are out guys. It's like, why am I going to waste a, a batter at first base if I can get this guy out? And, and, and so I, I didn't see not anything that, that insinuated that. I'm telling you, guys are getting hit in the back with curveballs, getting hit in the angles with sinkers. And every time somebody got uh, uh, the ball was close or every time somebody got hit, Brian, everybody uh, construed that it was – on purpose and that's going to be the hard part going through the year is that the umpires uh, and it's a tough job to determine intent you know what i mean because see when you're throwing a projectile 90 plus to 100 miles an hour you cannot always throw that ball where you want to throw it okay because if you did nobody'd ever hit anything and so sometimes balls get away sometimes i mean you see a guy looking at a guy like he has a bullseye on his chest which I've seen that a couple of times. The guy was looking right at me because they hit you. They have to look at you. You know what I mean? If not, they're looking outside and then one might get away. So um, I don't anticipate, you know, a whole bunch happening this year out of what was going to happen uh, normally anyway. All right. So let's talk about the season because, look, Yankee fans in New York feel like now that they got Garrett Cole, that was yep. what they needed. Uh, well, to be the team to beat. I know the Nationals uh, were another one of your one. former teams. They got to get, but you know, they lost Rendon. They lost a number of pieces. Uh, right. So the Dodgers feel like Mookie Betts coming from Boston that now this is finally their year where they can pull it out. He's a, he's opinion, a good one too. Yeah, in your opinion, who who is the team? Nationals, obviously they're defending champs, but them aside, who yeah. is the team to beat? Well, I mean, got to be the Nationals because they were, the, I mean, they're the team to beat. And we came in second. So then right now, You'd have to, you know, they'd be the team to beat since they're the incumbent. 
but uh, you know, I feel like it's us, you know, and uh, uh, really, even I, without Garrett Cole. Well, yeah, it's going to be tough to replace Garrett Cole, but you still got to play the game. You know what I mean? And uh, I always count on somebody, a surprise guy coming, uh, you know, coming through that you weren't counting on because when the Astros got Garrett Cole, he wasn't Garrett Cole, the Garrett Cole <laughs> when he left. You know, you got to give Brent Strom and the, and the organization credit for helping Garrett Cole and also being around Verlander to helping uh, uh, Garrett Cole turn into Garrett Cole. So hopefully there's another one that, uh, you know, waiting that we're not counting on. I do that every spring. I count on a couple of kids. Hopefully they got the curveball together, their slider, or got their control together that uh, a surprise somebody that you don't, uh, uh, you know, that you're not counting on. I mean, I didn't come back just not to win. You know what I mean? So in my mind, I, I, I was brought back, you know, to win. And 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 the fact that I, I this is my last last hurrah to win. And so I'm usually good under pressure. So I'm looking forward to to you know the managing and trying to bring a championship back to Houston. What does this say about the state of Major League Baseball when you look across the landscape and you have two black managers, yourself and Dave Roberts there in uh, Los Angeles? And yeah. you know, quite frankly, they were trying to, after that loss to the Nationals, they were saying whether or not they were going to get rid of him, but just two black managers in the great game. Yeah. Well, hey, man, there's not only two black managers, but the few black players, American-born black players. So, I mean, I've talked about this a thousand times. It comes up every Jackie Robinson day, the same. And then the next year we're talking about the same thing. So hopefully now it's time to, uh, you know, for some action. Because there, there are a lot of uh, guys I feel out there that are qualified to do the job that I'm doing. They just have to get a chance. And, 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 you, and the organization has to be willing to give people a chance. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's what's getting tougher and tougher are, are the opportunities. And, uh, you know, you don't want anybody to give you anything. You just want them to give you an opportunity. So hopefully, uh, you know, this whole pandemic and, and, and us talking about it, hopefully it'll bring about a change. It's, it's not going to happen this year, but uh, perhaps next year or, or the year after. So we alluded, you alluded to it at the very top, and you talked about the very beginning of your career. And I don't know the newbies uh, know – that, you know, when you started out, you, as a player, I mean, you, you were at the Atlanta Braves, you're playing with Hank Aaron. In fact, yeah. on the on-deck circle, when Hank hits number 715, what was that like? Well, I mean, that was, I don't know, I was like a 22, 23-year-old kid. <laughs> and I, I didn't really realize the significance of that. Uh, well, I did, but I was more living it with Hank. You know what I mean? I didn't think about the, what it would be like afterwards. And, and I think back now, again, you know, how lucky and fortunate Ralph Gar and myself were to come up with the Braves and, and come up with the great Hank Aaron and the great players that we played with. I mean, I, I, I came through an era uh, of, of some great, great players. Gibson, Zepeda, uh, um, you know, every team had, had, had stars, you know, Billy Williams, Pete Rose. Johnny Bench, I mean, man, I'm talking about the, the Big Red Machine and the Dodgers and I'm telling, and Open A's. And uh, there are some guys that came to play, and they came to play every day. And, uh, you know, that was a time when, when, you know, there were more minorities in the game. And there were, probably, and there were less teams when I first came in. So the competition was very, very 
uh, high. Um, guys are playing for, for pride of, of being not only on your team, but pride of being in your league. And, uh, uh, yeah, that was, I, I want to trade that era for, for anything. Cause those guys, they took care of me and they, and they taught me a lot and to help make me the person I am managing today. But the, it was also an era dust, which, you know, I, it blows my mind. This man is on the verge of breaking the record in major league baseball. And he's winning death threats well, just for breaking Babe Ruth's record and, and, and tried to hide it from you guys. Well, that was a tough time. I mean, that boy, that was in the 70s. You know, I mean, you, know, you had a bunch of civil unrest. You had, uh, uh, you know, freedom marches. You had, uh, you know, hate groups, hate crimes. Uh, that was a tough, tough time. And, and we were in the South. And uh, when I was drafted by the Braves, I prayed the night before that I get drafted by anybody but the Braves because I didn't really? want to go to the South. Yeah. And so I woke up the next day I said, Lord, I don't think you heard me. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but that ended up being the best thing that, you know, ever happened to me. You know, I was going to the South for eight years and going through the Marines in the South while I was with the Braves and Hank Aaron. And, uh, you know, I thought about all the great people that we hung around that, that we were, I was allowed to hang around because I was with, Hank, Ralph Gar, and myself, you know. Uh, we but I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. B yeah. Because he was breaking that record in, in the number of threats he got, even though yeah. you knew it was a joyous occasion, were you scared yeah. that if, if, if he breaks it, like, yo, will something happen to him if he does well, hit this home run? Yeah, because, yeah, I was scared. Because, you know, that, that was shortly after we had a rash of uh, assassinations, and then he was he was – he got some death, death threats that, you know, he was going to get assassinated. But, you know, I think we were more afraid than he was. Mm. You know, Ralph Gar and myself, we were looking around, I mean, you know, to see if there's potential uh, uh, trouble. But Hank Aaron focused his, um, you know, all his uh, concentration into his game and into breaking that record. I mean, his whole focus was, was, was to pass Babe Ruth. And I saw him... You know, I saw him in spring training. Uh, uh, you know, I saw him in spring training, I think, either that year or the year before. I think he had, like, you know, 13 hits and uh, and 12 home runs. He was working on hitting home runs. <laughs> and every every hit was a home run. And I'm like, hey, Hank, all you do is hit home runs. This is spring training. In spring training, he says, he says, uh, he says, boy, that's what I'm working on. And he was. So <laughs> he could do anything he wanted to do. That's fantastic. Uh, so you, you, you start your career there in Atlanta, and then yeah. all of a sudden you go to Los Angeles. And you're a California kid, so you're basically coming back home, uh, yes. so to speak. You win a World yeah. Series there. You're the NLC, uh, NLCS MVP. So what mm. was it like playing with Tommy Lasorda, uh, yeah. you, you had Ron Say, Davey Lope, Steve Sachs, Socia behind the mound. You even had Fernando Valenzuela. What yeah. was that like playing for that Dodgers team? Well, it was great, actually, because on the Braves the year before, Tom Lasorda had told me, he said, you belong on the Dodgers. And I thought I, I belonged on the Dodgers anyway because I grew up a Dodger fan. Um, I lies in Tommy Davis. That's why I wore number 12. So it was kind of like a dream come true for me because I had been born about 50 miles uh, uh, southeast of, 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 uh, of uh, L.A. and Riverside and spent most of my 
uh, elementary, junior high, and one year of high school there. So it was it was a dream come through to me. It just didn't start out uh, uh, well for me because I I hit full home runs my first year after a major trade, and the people are saying I was a terrible trade and uh, worst trade of all time. And so, uh, you know, I hurt my knee right before I got there playing basketball, and then they operated on me after the season. I hit 30 home runs with uh, my other uh, partners on my team, and then from then on. You know, we started winning, and it was, uh, you know, it was a great. I mean, it was great to, to play for Tom Lasorda. I played for with Walt Austin his last year with there, and and with Tommy in '77, my first year there, because Tommy was our, our our third base coach. So he was full of exuberance, one of the most positive thinking men that I've I ever I've ever known. Uh, and the one thing that I really remember is that if he believed in you, he wasn't afraid to stick his neck out for you. And that's mm. how it was back in the day. And, you know, they, you know, they would let the manager choose, uh, uh, you know, a portion of his, of his team. And the, and if you, if you believed in that player, then he better play well or else it was going to be your neck. And, uh, you know, that, that, that would be a lot easier than, 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 than going sometimes on other people's recommendation. You probably got your own recommendations and uh, that's what I remember about Tommy because my second year there after my I failed miserably he told the world that I was his uh his left fielder and I never played left field and so you know that's what you know catapulted my my you know my career back into sync and, and you know even when you were in LA uh, you were there when Fernando was big, and I don't even know if oh, young yeah. folk even know Fernando Mania. Yeah, you know, Fernando and obviously we have a, we have that we have the last dude, dance. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> what was that like? What was it? What well, was that Fernando like? That Fernando Mania. Well, it was all over the country. I mean, everywhere we we played, especially uh, uh, you know back east in Chicago. I mean, every every Latin American, uh, uh, you know, South American. Um, uh, Central American in that town would come to the games when Fernando pitched, and uh, uh, he was a 19, 20 year old kid that, that, that you know that had the savvy of a of a veteran. I mean, he was a good athlete. He could hit. He could he could field his position. He could bunt. He could do everything but run. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was a little hefty. <laughs> the, no, well, well, he couldn't run. But I, but I but I saw him in the dugout one day. You know that little hacky sack. Thing that those kids do yes uh, yes man he kept that thing going for about 15 minutes i was wow. like god dang man how so he got he good that? footwork man, he got good everything and i was like he had off the elbow off the knee off the hip and they keep I'm like fernando how do you do that so uh that just shows you what kind of athlete fernando was and i understand now he's a heck of a golfer which don't surprise me you know because he could do he could do about anything but that was some fun times you know, like we were depending on a on a very young, young uh, uh, kid. He was a kid at the time. People would ask me, and, and is Fernando really uh, 19 or 20? I said, yeah, he's a kid. He did kid things. You know, like tap you on the shoulder and you look around. He thought that was hilarious, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> I like, yeah, he is a kid, you know. So, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed my time, you know, you know, with Fernando. So obviously that's just that's just a microcosm of your playing career. And then you get into oh, yeah. to to managing, um, and and your first stop there is uh, with the Giant. Did you always, as a player, think you would become a manager? What, what got no. you to become? That was a manager? the last. That was the last thing I thought. I, the last thing I thought I'd be a coach. 
but you know, I got divorced. I was in LA. I was at a kind of a crossroads in my life. And my dad told me to go to the mountains uh, with my brother and our two girls. And so he said, go to the mountains and, and pray for direction. So I went up there and, uh, and I was checking in the, in the hotel at Lake Arrowhead and I got a tap on the shoulder from behind. It was the, uh, it was Bob Laurie, the owner of the Giants. And he says, uh, you know, best you need to come play. And, you know, you come be with us. They wanted me to coach at the time. And Al Rosen said, I'd make a fine manager in the future. But I had to get the player out of me first and coach for a few, uh, a few years. And I went back to the room, called my dad. I said, Dad, I said, I'm, I came up here to make up my mind. And something tapped me on the shoulder. He said, son, that, that's a sign. If you don't want to see it, then, then you shouldn't have went up there in the first place. And so that's what made up my mind, uh, you know, to start coaching. And uh, that was probably one of the best decisions that, you know, I made in, in, in a long, long time because I actually I coached longer than I was, I, I was playing. And I think right. that's a long time. So you, you go there and you're obviously with the Giants and man, you yeah. had some great giant teams. You have the great Barry Bonds there. You have Jeff Kent. I mean, you can just go well, on. Well, I was a bad coach I mean, first. No, I was a batting right. coach first, and let me tell you, I had some dudes that could hit. I'm yes. talking Kevin Mitchell, Will Clark, uh, uh, Matt Williams, Robbie Thompson. I had Willie McGee, Royce Clayton. That was, that was my first team. Kurt Manwaring, uh, uh, Darren Lewis, who I named my son after. And I'm telling you, that that was – boy, I had some team to start off with. And, uh, uh, you know, we won 103 games that first year. And then things, you know, got – worse because of the strike and then you know trade a bunch of players and it got better and then we ended up going to the world series and uh and at that time you know i thought that i had you know been here long enough because sometimes you can stay you can overstay your welcome yeah so you know you know you've known barry bonds a long time i mean you've known him since he was a baby i mean obviously you yeah. played with his father knew his father at any time well, Dusty, we're all from did, riverside we're all from riverside you know right did, yeah. did, did you did you ever pull him aside and just say, you know, Barry, if you were nicer to the media, things would probably go a lot easier for you? Because do you believe when it boils down to it, if Barry Bonds was, let's say, like yourself, despite all of the steroid stuff with him, that he'd probably be in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I mean, hey, man, I mean, there's some guys in there that, that – that haven't done what Barry did. And there's some guys in there that aren't necessarily angels either. I mean, Barry Bonds was, you know, was the greatest of, of, of his era. And uh, I don't know. I ain't never tell him be nice to the media because he probably wouldn't listen anyway. He was that stubborn, huh? No, not really. We're all that stubborn. You know yeah. what I mean? He ain't the only one. He, he he wasn't the first one. I heard some of the same stuff about me when I first came up. You know, I mean, you you kind of learn the hard way. But um, uh, uh, you know, Barry's Barry's. Um, I've talked to Barry, you know, quite a few times since. And um, you know, uh, life has a way of, you know, humbling us all. And, yeah, and, and what and, and can you give us give me just a little touch? Is it one of those things where he's looked back and said, "Well, maybe I should have been a little nicer, or maybe I should have done some I, I, things differently." 
Man, I can't tell you all that. I mean, <laughs> that's what this podcast is all about, man. Straight uh, yeah, talk. That's good. That, no, that that is straight talk. But then you, you you know something? You got to ask Barry that one. Okay, <laughs> I'll see if I can get Barry on this show. Okay, well like, that would that, that would no, be no, tremendous. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that, I'm serious. I mean, and, you know, Barry's yeah, and he's very approachable now. He's yeah. he's a lot more approachable now than he was before. And uh, like I said, we all grow up on, on, on things and, uh, you know, we've all made mistakes. So I'll see if I can, I'll see what I can do. All right. Okay. That'd be great. Uh, you, move right. on to, you move on to Chicago and then you get Sammy Sosa. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what was that like? Chicago, Sammy Sosa. By the way, have you seen it? He got the Michael Jackson look going on, man. <laughs> you see yeah. how well, crazy Sammy it. Sosa? No, I mean, I've seen the pictures, you know, I mean, uh, you know, what I try to like? judge. You yeah, know, why what was a guy that like? does whatever. It, well, it was different because I mean, Chicago started out great, and then it turned, it turned kind of, kind of, um, uh, you know, against me at the end because it was tough going to the ballpark the last year, year and a half or so. Because you we had a lot losing. of injuries, man. You had a well, lot of injuries. Well, it horses. didn't matter. You, you know, it didn't matter. And uh, you know, I got some of the same hate mail in Chicago that Hank Aaron got when I was with the Braves. And really. And, uh, and so, like, I, it, 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 it prepared me because of what Hank had been through. Uh, you know, sometimes you go through things in your life, you don't know why you're going through them. But then I was like, man, this is the same thing. And uh, uh, so, um, you know, it actually made me stronger. You know, I mm. mean, in the long run, it made me stronger. It made me, uh, you know, realize, you know, there are good people and bad people everywhere. Uh, you know, it made me realize that. You know, um, it's all temporary because all the feelings that were whatever that you're feeling at that time, you know, they're gone. Everybody's on to somebody else now. And yeah. so, you, you know, the thing about it is you try not to take it personal. You know what mm. I mean? Because if you take it personal, it, it, it cuts like a knife. So, you know, you got to let it roll off. But like I said, I was very fortunate to have gone through you know, with Hank Aaron in order to learn some of these lessons before I got there. I had a couple players, you know, you know, that were, they were kind of minority players that were devastated by the booze and devastated by, you know, the adverse uh, talk, uh, you know, on the radio. And, and, you know, I, like I said, I really enjoyed my time in Chicago uh, the first couple of years, but then when we started losing, it got a little, it got very rough at the end there. So, so, so at, okay. at the at the end, I, I remember it was the 2004 final game against Atlanta. Uh, you know, so so remember he leaves the game early, and then yeah. after the game, he goes to the he goes to the media and tells the Chicago Sun Times, "Hey, Dusty Baker said I could leave early. Quote: I'm tired of being blamed by Dusty Baker for all the failures of this club." End quote. Right. Well, that had to rub you wrong. Yeah, it rubbed me wrong, but I I know it wasn't the truth. You know, so it's like, hey, man, you know, every man got to live with their own truth, regardless of how you see it in your version of the truth. And see, that didn't rub me wrong for very long because, it, it, you know, it wasn't the truth. And, uh, uh, you know, but, but like I said, everybody has their own version of the truth. And, and I had mine. Uh, and, and how about the Bart game? You had the Bartman game. You were coaching the Cubs there. Uh, mm -hmm. when that Bartman game. And, and I'm just curious, uh, do you believe that that Cubs team you had, had it not been for the Bartman game, that if they could have won that game, that they could have won it all and you would have been the, the right. guy to break the Maybe. 
that team. Maybe, but I, you know, I try not to think about the, the, the Bartman. Like I, I wanted to win it the next year and have Bartman sit next to me because in the ticker tape parade, because you know, <laughs> I, you know, here's a guy going to the games by himself to, to enjoy the game, and then now he's a scorn of of, of Cubs Nation. You know, so uh, you know, imagine how how you know how he must feel. But you know, we had opportunities to win that game. You know, I mean, that was the one that they remember. But you know, uh, you know, we had we had a, a couple of double plays we could have turned. We had a couple of uh, uh, batters to the plate that they could have got some. So you can look back a whole bunch of times. It just wasn't our time. I wish it was, because man, that 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 was. Oh boy, that was one of my dreams come true, especially to go from one World Series team with the Giants, and then the the, the first year taking over what team had never been there before. That'd have been the very next year. So, hey, um, that's where the ball bounces. You can't look back. You know, I know when I do shows with you and different uh, uh, people on podcasts. I mean, that's that's what you talk about the past. But, yeah. Hey, uh, until I, uh, 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 I haven't thought about that. Bartman and I don't know how long, you know what I mean? Unless, <laughs> unless I see a Cubs fan in the airport, you know what I mean? And they're and they're everywhere though. I'll just yes, they are, are now. Ooh. Now that they want it, absolutely. Oh yeah, but that's okay. I mean, they they got a good following. Now you, you leave Chicago and then you come to Cincinnati and yeah. listen, that's your team. I, and listen, I like Dusty Baker. That's what I <laughs> love, Dusty Baker. Because this is my show, can we tell all of America that I am the one responsible for Dusty Baker coming to the Cincinnati Reds? Because if you speak it into existence, yeah. it will happen. And people don't know that. That's, what, that's what he told me. He told yes, me. That. 2006, we're in Africa <laughs> on a bus. Yep. And Dusty Baker had left the Cubs, and we're sitting in the back of this bus going to tour the slave castles <laughs> in Africa. And I said, Dusty, you need to be with my team, the Cincinnati Reds. They got some young talent, but they need a winner. And what did I say? What, what, guide what, that what did I, I tell want, you? I don't want to. I hate the Cincinnati Reds. I can't stand <laughs> and he used colorful language. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, I get a phone call from Dusty Baker saying, I'm just going to tell you, I'm about to take the Cincinnati Reds job. You my boy. Yeah. That's what I'm telling you. But you better not report it. Or I better not see it nowhere. Yeah. But I'm just going to tell you. And I remember I told you, I said, all I ask, is that you yeah. give me the office number because if something happened, I need to call you directly. Yeah, yeah, I remember because <laughs> let me tell you, are your boys, uh, are they brainwashed Cincinnati Reds fans? Or they they like are absolutely, the absolutely. <laughs> as, Do one of them as, like the Mets? No, no, don't none of them, don't none of them like any of the New York teams. They oh, still wow. like the Cincinnati Reds I and will still watch. And here's here's the beauty of Dusty Baker, people yeah. need to know this is that when I got diagnosed with prostate cancer and I had to have surgery, my man Dusty Baker calls me and says, are you coming to Ohio? Because I always bring my boys to Columbus, Ohio, yeah. to visit my parents. He said, man, bring those boys. They're I playing want you to come to the game. Yep. And he set it up. He, my boys met Joey Votto. Joey Votto gave him a bat. I sat That's in Dusty great. Baker's office. I mean, it was it was a Reds fan's dream, man. I love you for that. And my boys, they talk about that even to this day. And, and, and speaking of that, because you, you were diagnosed with prostate cancer and too. Yep. What was that like for you? How life-changing was that well, for you? And how did it change your life? Well, it changed my life. I started 
seeing the birds or hearing the birds fly or see the full moon or see the stars, things that you just took for granted. And see, I had my operation December 2001, right before we went to the playoffs the next year in 2002. And I was barely, um, um, I got cleared from my doctor about four days uh, um, to go before we went to spring training. And uh, that was a tough year, even though we went to the World Series. And that's why my son, uh, you know, was out there at three years old. Everybody asked me, like, hey, man, you didn't know he was too young? Yeah, but number one, he loved the game. He knew what he was doing. And, you know, you know, when you find out you got cancer, man, I mean, that changes your whole outlook and experience, on, especially family outlook on, on life. And so I was trying to give him everything that I could just in case I didn't beat the cancer. Because uh, Brian, you know, the first <clears throat> the first year or two, you yes. know, those every three month checkups, man. Yes. I mean, you you you're sweating every time you go in there, and the doctor's Absolutely. like, "I'll call you in a week." No, doc, you call me today. now. Oh, oh, yes, right now, as soon as yep. you find out. And so it does change your whole outlook. It changes uh, you know, the way that you you know do your uh, estate planning. Is uh, it's, it's, it's you know you, you think about your your bills, you think about your family, you think about your you know, uh, you know, your kids and you think about, you know, a lot of things and, and you and you're grateful for, you know, a lot of things. So, uh, like I said, I've been through some stuff. Uh, and then I had a stroke when I was with the Reds, you know, mm. uh, right yes. before the playoffs. Absolutely. And, and so and I think we talked about going to the healing center in Hawaii, where I tell you, I always go to, to, you know, you know, you know, to pray to, uh, you know, every time I got an affliction and I've, I'm still here, you know, yeah. you know, we're still here. And so, uh, you gotta be a lot, uh, you know, a lot to be grateful for, you know, like you I don't, I don't, I don't complain too much. You know? I don't really like being around complainers either. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, and my daddy didn't like complainers. See, my daddy didn't like complainers. See, my dad, that's why I don't eat chocolate today. Cause my dad used to tell me, I said, dad, damn. Hey, hey, Dad, my elbow's sore. He said, go get me the X-lax. I said, X-lax? I'm like, what X-lax got to do with the elbow? Then I'd say, I said, man, my knee is sore. He said, go get me the X-lax. Man, I stayed in the bathroom, so I, I could be half dead. I would not tell my dad that anything was wrong with me. <laughs> and to this day, everybody offered me chocolate. Unless that chocolate no. got and that's it. I cannot eat no chocolate. <laughs> X-lax. So that's why, that's why I don't complain, you know? <laughs> My old man was pretty smart, wasn't he? <laughs> so Chris, Chris Tucker, uh, Chris Rock's dad said Robitus, and your dad said X-Lax. That's X-Lax. I, I haven't heard I have a Chris Rock, but I know the feeling. Yeah, X-Lax. <laughs> now, one of the great things is I've had the opportunity to stay uh, at the Great Baker Estate, and... You got your own wine. This cat has his own <laughs> wine and vineyard. There. When, when did the idea, when did you become a wine connoisseur? Mm, I don't know if I call myself a wine connoisseur, but I'm a grape grower. Uh, I was going to, I had an extra two acres that I didn't know what to do with, so I was going to build a pond. And I was with the uh, Mandavi on their advisory board going to dinner with their some of their top people from Canandaigua and Southern Wine and Spirits and various companies. And uh, I was gonna build a pond and I was gonna 
my, my insurance man told me I'd flood my neighbor because it's on a slope. And so that's when I went to Mr. Mandavi and asked him, can somebody help me, uh, you know, pick out my rootstock and get my wires and my posts and, and, and irrigation system together. One thing led to another. Um, uh, the guy that I met that helped me from UC Davis, uh, <clears throat> uh, he, you know, he became my wine maker and partner. And so since then, um, Hank Aaron and Mr. Thomas Moorhead, Hank Aaron's good buddy and my buddy, have also joined our company, and uh, we're going to come out with a. Uh, we're working on it now, a Hank Aaron, uh, uh, you know, Cabernet. So nice. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I grow Syrah grapes here at my place. Uh, it's, it's not that big, but it's a lot of work. I mean, if you're going to do it right, I mean, I, I, then uh, <clears throat> I'm really envious of the people that can really know what they're doing, and and because there's a lot of work. You got to pinch them, you got to shade them, you have to, you know, trim them. You got to know when they're right. And I'm still learning. I mean, every day I'm still learning, but it's uh, it's uh, nice to be out there. And it's it's nice to be out there during this break. You know what I mean? Because it gives me something to do. It gives me something to, to clear my head and to try to come up with new thoughts on how I'm gonna, you know, win this thing this year. Well, I tell you what, it's some good wine too. Baker Family Wine. I mean, that that let me tell you, I'm not a big red wine drinker, but you poured me some, and I was like, yo, and gave me a bottle and took it. And my wife drank it all. I said, God yeah. dang, he gave it to me. And well, that's what happened. That's how we started. You know, at first we were like giving them away to to all my homeboys here, you know, like yeah. Roland Office and Jerry Royster and all the guys here from Sacramento, Lloyd Mosby. I mean, you name it. You know, we Jerry, uh, 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 man, we'd get together at different events and stuff, and I'd bring my wine. And they said, man, that's pretty good. I said, really? Because they were called Shiners, you know, at that time because we weren't licensed. I mean, you could make, you could make wine. You just can't label it or nothing. So one thing led to another. And then uh, we uh, were in San Francisco, and then we decided to come to Sacramento. So I moved all my operation you know, here to Sacramento. And uh, this is where, where, you know, where, where's my home and where I'm gonna stay. Wow. All right. So we're gonna wrap this thing up here. Usually, all right, we, we do uh, people who listen to the podcast, they send in questions. We got a number of them. So I'm gonna get show, shoot Go two of them. They come from Twitter. Uh, this one from Ramblin Ralph, he says, what is the greatest team you played on the greatest team you've managed and if they played each other with their ace pitchers going against each other, who would win? Boy, that's a pretty good question. That's a good yeah. question, isn't it? That's a great question. Probably uh, the best team was probably 77 Dodgers. And the um, best team I've managed, boy, that is, that's real tough. Uh, boy, it was 93. 2002 was good. Yeah, probably. Yeah, somewhere between 93 and, and 2002. And who would match up? I, we'd match up probably Sutton, Don Sutton versus uh, we. Man, they've had some good ones. Uh, maybe, you know, Billy Swift. Mm. Uh, um, who wins that game? Damn. Giants, the Giants of the Dodgers. Ooh-wee. Well, whatever team I was on, okay. <laughs> I, love it. 
love it. What an answer. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, this one comes from, uh, it says here, at Kojo on Twitter. He says, Dusty, a solid choice to take the reins uh, after Houston's transition. How do you know that you're not just a placeholder for this season and you're going to be fully supported by the organization? Well, you don't know. And, uh, you know, where I look at it is they've supported me by bringing me in the first place, and all you can ask for is an opportunity. And, uh, you, know, you know, I got one and an option, but, what, you know, when I think about it, man, I played for Walter Austin in the last year of, of his reign of 24 straight one-year contracts. And then the Tom Lasorda, uh, I think he had, I don't know, 20 one-year contracts. So uh, I'm taking it a year at a time, a day at a time, actually a game at a time. And, uh, hey, I'm just uh, – I'm happy to get this opportunity. And I, I think I know what the – I'll take, you know, make the uh, – excuse me, make the best of this opportunity. All right, here we go. We'll wrap this up here. Uh, we call this last segment, Dusty, The Last Stand. I'm going to give you a series of questions, Dust. You give me the first yeah. thing that comes to your mind, man. You ready? Okay. You've done this with me right. before. Here we go. I don't, I don't remember, but go ahead. Here we go. First question. Who is the best player you've ever played with? Ooh. Hank Aaron. Best player you've ever managed? Barry Bonds. Who, in your opinion, is the greatest Dodger? Mm. Uh, Sandy Koufax and, and, and Jackie Robs. Okay. What that. hurt more, losing that game seven in the World Series to the Angels or losing that Bartman game? No, nah, losing game seven. Mm. Uh, who's more deserving of the Hall of Fame nod? Is it Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens? Barry Bonds. It take yourself out of the equation, in your opinion, best manager in baseball right now. Boy. <clears throat> Boy, that's a tough one. They got some good ones out there. You know, you got Terry Francona, you got ooh, Dave Roberts. Uh I'd have to. I don't know. I can't answer that because man, I don't have. I, man, I can't have. I can't have them mad at me. Then they want to beat the hell out of my team. Okay. That ain't fair to ask me that one. Go ahead. Man. The great Dusty Baker, man. I really appreciate the time you've given us, Doc. You know I love you dearly. Man, you should uh, not be out on that last one. See, hey, that's that's why we call it the last stand. Segment. You got to take a stand, I, I brother. I know, man. Hey, hey, I was at Custer's last day when I went to Montana. Man, yeah, uh, how, what what that thing look like? Oh, man, that was a trip up there. You know, like how they surrounded them and stuff. Since, since yeah. I've been watching all these Westerns and, uh, uh, you know, Native American uh, uh, things on TV, man, I, I really come to appreciate it. Like I said, I was – if the COVID-11 wasn't as bad as it is, I, I'd be going up to Montana to see the – uh, the Cheyenne and Lakotas and and the, I mean I was thinking about it next weekend, but it's not safe to travel. So well, I, I really like being I really like being around the people. 
You know, I, that is on my bucket list to visit. I got to see where my great, 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 great grandpappy, what was he up to up there? Why did he, why did he even go up there? That was a wrong business decision. Where, where? When, when he went up there and, and took, tried to take that stand up there against those Native Americans, they wasn't having it. Oh no, I'm telling you, man, it was, it, it was, it's a trip to go there and see all the grave sites. And then I was there with the chief of the Cheyenne who, who, you know, you know, become my good buddy was telling me the history his great 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 grandfather was, wow. was was one of the one of the uh uh um, guys in the battle there so it was uh and i love it up there so it's okay time to get back to baseball then i'll go to montana okay well you know what folks that's the beauty of the last stand podcast because we give you some of the biggest names in sports and sometimes you even get a history lesson dust thank you for the time folks thanks for All listening right. to episode three of the podcast Remember that we are streaming on all platforms that stream podcasts. We'll see you next week. Good luck, man. Are you feeling run down? Do you need a natural way to boost your immune system? The all-natural B1 patch from USA Natural may be just what you're looking for. Professional athletes use it, and you can too. Just peel and stick, and within 30 minutes, feel the natural boost of energy, stamina, and endurance. Visit buyb1.com and enter the code BC3 for a discount on every order. Wear what the pros wear, the all-natural B1 patch.